Good morning. What a great example of what Paul talked about in chapter four of the pastoral pastors and teachers equipping the saints to do the work of ministry. Isn't that neat? That's really cool to see. Maybe someday my schedule will free up that I can take those courses. I would love to do that someday. <clears throat> so before, before we start, um, this last week um, had a number of conversations following up from last Sunday's message. And um, I was encouraged by how so many people in this church are trying to stand true to the scriptures, who are struggling with how to do that in a loving way. And so I wanted to try to just offer some resources. Um, these are not an authoritative list. Um, the first one that I would encourage you to look at, and this one was recommended to me by Beth Swift, um, you're teaching my child what? By the way, that guy in the front, that's what I looked like every day of elementary school, probably. I was not the best student back in those days. Um, yeah, I think it's worth reading. Um, and while I'm on this topic, I said something last week that I kind of regret, because I'm usually a little more optimistic. I said I feel bad for, for parents today. And I don't want to give you a pessimistic outlook, because God's not surprised by where our culture's at. I might be surprised, but God's not surprised. And God says he's given us everything we need for life and godliness. So if you're a parent of a young child today, you have everything you need to try to raise that child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So don't take what I said last week as a, that was a way of emphasizing how I think important it is to parent today, but it wasn't a pessimistic statement or wasn't intended as a pessimistic statement. So if you're here today and you have children, God's given you an awesome responsibility and an awesome opportunity to raise children to live as godly young men and women and be a great light in the culture today. So a second one I'd like to recommend, and this one is a one that is, is almost painful to read in some ways. It's called Irreversible Damage, the Transgender Craze Seducing Our Daughters, um, if you really want a heartbreaking interview, look up Jordan Peterson and detransition. And he has an interview with a young woman who's detransitioning and the pain that she's experiencing because she didn't know any better at age 12. She was told by doctors she should do this. She did it. And now she's coming through and coming out the other side and experiencing grave, grave, irreversible damage. That's worthwhile to consider. And then a third one, and this one I think is so important for us. Um, it's called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Um, my daughter recommended me this book today. Uh, last, when, no, last Thursday, I bought it on Kindle and I devoured about 90% of it th Thursday night. Um, it frames, it frames all of these issues facing us today in terms of hospitality. How can we show the love of Christ? And the subtitle is how radical, ordinary, radically ordinary hospitality, right, is how it frames it. But this is coming from some person, from the writer, who is coming out of that movement and who is now a pastor's wife and who has this, Radical, radically ordinary approach 
the hospitality. So let me frame the question to you kind of this way. Imagine whatever you will. You put the picture of the most godless person in your mind and sit them next to you in church. How are you going to respond to them? We need to be aware that, that in, if we're going to be a light in this community, we need to have a, a, a seat next to us that anybody from any kind of a movement, any kind of sin in their background can sit next to us and they will be accepted and loved by us without being affirmed. That we need to be the kind of people that will show hospitality and love. So you again, whatever sin you want to name in our culture today, if they're there, maybe they come in with a shirt that's offensive to anybody who's a follower of Christ. Will you love them and give them a hug and say, we're glad you're here today? That's what we need to be able to show. That kind of radical love and hospitality. And I know it would never happen in our church. But I've heard of churches where somebody sits down next to a believer. And after the service is over, the person looks over and says, what are you doing here? And I pray that that wouldn't be never something that happens here. And I, I really don't think it would happen here. But let's be the kind of people that show the love of Christ to everybody around us. And, and let's always have an open seat next to us where we can love and show the love of Christ to whoever comes our way. So let me just recommend those three books to you. Um, there's others that are out there. I just don't know of all of them. So I'm open to more book recommendations as well. All right, so turn into your Bible to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We're moving along steadily in the book of Ephesians. And I'm going to read chapter 5, verses 1 through 21. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 21. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. That there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or pure or is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is even shameful, excuse me, for it is even shameful, it is shameful even to speak of these things that they do in secret. But when anything's exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making best of the time, because the days are evil. 
Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Hear the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this short segment of your scriptures. Lord, it's heavy, and I ask that you would help us take it to heart. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hands and feet to obey. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So back when I was in high school, um, I played a little bit of football. And um, this was back when I first moved from Michigan to northern Illinois, and it was a pretty cold day, and it happened to be one of those nights where we played on Friday nights. That was my JV year, 10th grade year. Um, sometimes we played on Saturday, sometimes we played on Friday nights. So we were in school, and I was in the gym for gym class at about 10, 11 in the morning. Um, I went outside to see what the weather was going to be like for that night's game, and I wasn't a Christian at the time, although I'd made a profession of faith, and I was trying to do the right things, and I, my parents were church planning in that town, so everybody knew I was the pastor's kid. So I went outside, and I saw that it was going to be a very cold, very dreary evening, and I just dropped a swear word. I mean, I dropped one of the bad ones, right? And then I looked to my side, and there was my football coach, who was religious, very conservative, very religious, not a Christian, but he just looked at me, and you know what he said? He goes, oh, I see. And I wasn't even a believer at the time, but I was convicted. Because what I had done, what I thought in private, became extremely public. And even though I wasn't really a believer at the time, I knew... That wasn't a good thing. And from a, one perspective, God convicted me on that. Because I knew that my sin, because it was crass, it was crass. My sin gave Jesus a bad name. My sin gave Jesus a bad name. And what we're going to find in this text is God's calling his children to holiness, but that holiness in light is going to in turn bring people to Jesus. So we want to be holy, not just because we love God, which is a good enough reason, but even on top of that, it's also so that we can be a testimony to the world around us. So this text comes in kind of two phases. Um, a lot of commentators don't know how to summarize these sections, and it's tough because Paul, in modern terminology, he mixes a lot of metaphors through this section. So if you're a really strict English teacher, you don't like how Paul communicates. But Paul's communicating under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so I think he's okay, right? But it makes it kind of hard. So I, I, the title was Walk in Love. Walk in light and walk in wisdom. And all three of those things come up, but there's all sorts of jumbled, interconnected kind of, it almost feels like Paul's doing stream of consciousness here, although it is actually pretty great communication. 
So the first part of the text we're going to talk about is walk in love and in light. So let's look at, again, in chapter 5, verse 1. It says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So he says, be imitators, be holy people. Remember what God said in the Old Testament? Be holy for I am holy. So we need to be imitators of God. Now, what he really, what's really interesting there is he says, as children. And then he uses the word love. And I think that's a perfect connection. One of the great joys of being a grandparent is getting to watch your grandchild grow. Right? And I happen to live in the same town as my grandchild. So I get to see him at least once a week. And I get to see the difference between all I can do is this. And now I'm doing this. And now I'm cruising. One of the greatest things I'm looking forward to is watching my grandson watch my son. You know what I mean by that? And you remember when you were a kid and all you wanted to do was ape your dad? You wanted to do what your dad was doing? And I'm sure it was a pain. I'm sure my dad would rather have been doing something else. I don't think I was actually helping when I was helping. And you know, right? We've all experienced this. But love of a child to a parent is how we're supposed to be with God, with Jesus. God loved us. He demonstrated that by dying for us. He sent his son, Christ, to die on the cross, to pay the penalty for our sin. And you could say in a legalistic sense that obligates me to obey. But what it should be is that we love God so much for his sacrifice that we lovingly obey and we want to follow him and we want to be like him because we love him so much. Which means that we're going to give ourselves up. Jesus gave himself up for us and because we love him, we follow him, we put our trust in him, we're going to ape him and walk behind him and carry a little plastic hammer when our father's carrying a real hammer or we're in a however you translate over to women's I'm not a woman so I don't know how that works when I was a kid now is it fair last week I was kind of hard on people on the outside of the church is that fair and I would like to think it was not it was done in a loving way I hope so it was my intention this week, I've got to be hard on us, me included. I've got to be hard on because we're in the church. And God's going to call those of us in the church to task today in this text. Oh, by the way, let me just finish one thought from chapter 5, verse 2. Christ gave himself up a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That's so foreign to us. But the Old Testament is full of references to, in the Old Testament sacrificial system, when that carcass would be burnt up, that that smoke would rise, and that aroma was pleasing to God. That's completely countercultural. The best, best equivalent of that might be some sort of a perfume in the modern culture. When God sent his son, and Christ gave himself up and died on the cross as a sacrifice, it's as if there was an aroma 
rising up to the Father, and that was pleasing. And when we do the same, it sends off an aroma that's pleasing to our Father. Verse 3, there's a call to holiness. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among us as is proper among saints. Doesn't just mention sexual sin. But he does start with that. He says sexual immorality. And that is not a highly specific word. It's a very broad word. Most of us would recognize it because it's the word porneia. Right? And porneia is the word we get the word pornography from. But it's not just referring to pornography. It's referring to any sin outside of the bounds of a man and a woman in marriage. Mental or otherwise. So it's broad enough that it can encompass adultery. It's broad enough that it can encompass sex outside of marriage. It's broad enough that it can encompass same-sex interactions. It's broad enough that it can cover pornography. And God calls us, brothers and sisters, to sexual purity. That's something that we need to avoid. And that's something that we need to be rid of. Now, I'm not foolish enough to think that in a a room this size, that there aren't some affairs going on. Some of us in this church have felt that deep pain of finding out that we've been betrayed. Some of you right now might be tempted. You might be at work and have a relationship that you know is going in the wrong direction. And right now it's just emotional, but you know if it continues, it's going to become physical. And you're in danger of threatening the covenant relationship that you established with your wife. Get out now. Avoid the pain for you. Avoid the pain for your spouse. Avoid the pain for your children. Avoid dishonoring the name of God. God calls us to sexual purity. You know, it's not just men, but I'm going to speak to men as a man. Women, you're included in this. But pornography is so available. I have, I have, I know a lot of teenagers from the time they were eight, nine years old had unfettered access to television in the room, full cable, unsupervised. Oh yeah, and there's this thing called a phone. As young parents, sorry Chad, I'm doing this to you. Talk to Chad O'Dell. He's an expert. I'm not joking. He is an expert on keeping your technology safe from those kinds of things. Probably going to have to do a seminar now, right, Chad? It might be worth doing. But men and women, we need to stay pure. It affects everything you do. And if there's someone here that's involved in that kind of stuff and you need some help, talk to somebody. Talk to us afterwards. There's a purity group in this church. There's at least one that I know of. 
talk to somebody and you can get help because the bottom line is it's destroying families and it's destroying the church. We need to get rid of those things in our lives. So sexual immorality and all impurity. Wow, and then he hits us just as hard again, covetousness. Like if I can just be holy, can't I just be really greedy for really lots of money? Wouldn't that be awesome if I could, no. Because you know what he calls covetousness? Later he's going to call it what? Idolatry. How much is enough money? Just a little more. How much is enough stuff? I learned that when you get into biking. They have a saying, bike stores love it when you start biking because they know how many bikes do you need? Just one more. Sorry, Greg Garl, I'm going to throw you under the bus. How many guitars do you need? (laughs) Just one more, right? I say that with nothing but love in my heart, brother. What kind of church would we be if we were all able to free up our resources enough to truly give and truly be hospitable? Now, look, we need houses to live in. I get that. God's blessed some more than others. I get that. But the reality is there are some of us, and I'll be honest, coming out of seminary, I had a lot of debt. And it was hard for me to be giving. Have we taken on so much stuff and we have so much extra things or so many extra things to be grammatically proper there, so many extra things that our resources are tied up and we can't be generous people. So at some level, there's a kind of practical covetousness where we've buried ourselves in debt, we've buried ourselves in loans and we've buried ourselves in stuff so that we can't be Generous, which is the opposite, of course, of covetousness. And I preach to myself as much as I preach to you today. For let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Uh, do Do you ever know the kind of person that just turns everything into sexual innuendo? And guess what? It's not hard. Who knew? All you have to do is kind of go, ah, yeah, ah, yeah. Sexual innuendo, turn it. That ought not be characteristic of us as believers. We ought to be the type of people that turn conversations to thanksgiving. This is convicting, isn't it? I'm ready to go home now. I just kind of need to recover, I think. But alas, we will continue. By the way, do you know what I found? I've never expected unbelieving people to act like believers around me. They self, they self, uh, losing the word here. They, they edit themselves when they're around me. Not because I've ever told them, right? I've known Christians that are like, please don't take, 
the Lord's name in vain around me. Okay. Or just be a holy person and guess what happens? Eventually, they just stop. I don't know why. I've never actually said, hey, please don't swear around me. But people, oh, sorry, Dave. I'm like, yep. That's between you and God. Don't say that either. But if we walk in the light and we imitate, people see that because there's a difference. People will see that. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, there we go, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Wow, that's kind of a shocking statement, right? Around here, we talk about once saved, always saved. And what I always add to that is if you're really saved. Okay, so here, here's what he's saying. It's not that if you're, you make a mistake once or you sin once that you're not a believer. This is talking about if your life is characterized by this. If people look at your life and go, yeah, yeah, he's an immoral or an impure person or he's a covetous person. And the whole world can see that. You're probably not part of the kingdom of God. You probably need to repent, turn your life over to Christ, and let him change you. And you go, but I've, been, I've, made, I've prayed the prayer. Did you ever confess in your heart? Was it a true conversion? If your life is characterized, literally, like everybody around you knows, oh yeah, that guy, oh, he's an adulterer. Serial. Oh, he's an impure person. Oh, he's a covetous person. Those are the kind of people that God has not saved. Why? Because when he saves you, he places the spirit of God in you and that will change you. It won't make you perfect yet. That's coming down the road at glorification. But there will be growth in your life and you won't be characterized so in such a way that when you go out in community, the community goes, oh, liar. Oh, culture will say, oh, he's an adulterer. Oh, he's impure. So he's warning them, saying, look, if, this, if you say you're a believer and your life is characterized by that, maybe not. And he's also showing how bad this sin is. Because I don't know what it is, but we have the tendency that we get used to sin around us. And we go, oh, it's not really that bad, is it? Do you ever justify sin that way? Well, you know, he does this and he does this, but all I do is lie just a little bit. Again, I preach to myself. Look what he says in verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sins of disobedience. We don't have the option of saying, oh, this sin is okay, or this sin is not as bad as that sin, because these are the things that are bringing about God's judgment and, and the world being, the death and Hades being thrown into the lake of fire. The wrath of God is coming. I was struck today, we're in Hebrews 6 in, in our life, or small church, and it was just struck me again how much God hates sin. If we, if I, if we could hate sin as much as God hates sin, we would do really well. 
And I want to be that way, and I want to do that. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are in the light. Because look, if you're a believer, you came out of the darkness, don't go back and become partners with them. Don't participate. Don't join in. Because you were darkness. I love it. Like we often talk about you are in darkness. He says you were darkness. And remember last week we talked about how different our minds were pre-Jesus. We were darkness, but now we're light. So we walk as children of light. How amazing would it be if we really, really, really caught on to this and we really lived that way out there outside of church and we had an empty seat next to us and we were inviting people that we are around and they go, I see a difference in him. I see a difference in her. I want to know what that's about. And when you invite them to the chili cook-off, you invite them to the Easter service, that they get around other believers and they go, this is blowing my mind. It's not just one or two people like this. There's a whole church full of people who radically obey Jesus and radically show love. Verse 10, I love this statement because it just it shows me that life has always been tough for Christians. Look what he says in verse 10. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. You know, sometimes life, the Christian life is confusing. Do you ever get in a dilemma where you're like, if I'm going to obey God's principle here, I should do this. But then that seems to, not in tension with this where, how do I... Live out these two principles in the world. And he says, try to discern what is pleasing. Hebrews, now I can't remember the chapter, talks about how those who have been in the faith longer have by practice learned to discern between good and evil. Right? The longer you're a Christian, the wiser you should be to know how to navigate these really tough times. You go back to your family for Christmas and there's a mix of people and not all of them get along and you're trying to live a holy life and some of them are trying to get you not to and some of them are trying to get you on a side of an in, in family fight and how do you handle that wisely? God can give us that wisdom if we seek it. As we seek to pursue and know what's the best way to please the Lord in any given situation. Verse 11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Now, some of you are like, yeah, I get to expose it all. That's not what he's saying here. He's not saying go shine a light everywhere. Oh, you're a liar, you're a cheater, you're you're, you're all going to hell, blah, 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 blah. Right, they are going to hell. We want him to come to Jesus. 
But that's not what he's talking about. He says expose them. And, And at first light, you're like, aha, I get to be really annoying and tell people about all their sin. What's he actually saying in the next verse, though? So context matters, right? For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. Oh, wait. So I don't want to be participating in shameful behavior by pointing it all out and bringing it out into the light and talking about it. But look what he says in verse 13. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Oh, so how do I expose these deeds? Keep my mouth shut and live a holy life. I don't have to point out everybody else's sin. Why? I'm a sinner too, right? But if I live a holy life, it's going to bring those other things to light. And guess what? You may not get invited to lunch all the time. If you're following Jesus, it might be that from time to time, when some of your friends at work want to get together, and they're like, yeah, but then we don't get to swear around him. Not, not that you made him live up to that standard, but your light is exposing the darkness. For anything that becomes visible is light. So he's basically saying this, look, live your life in a godly way, have a testimony, don't be afraid to share your relationship with Jesus Christ with others, and live holy, and that's going to expose the evil deeds. And then he has this really strange quote, because as far as I can tell, it's not a quote from the Bible. But it is a quote. I'll give you a theory, and I think it's a pretty good one. It says this in verse 14, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. The closest thing is some people think it's actually a reference to Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 and 2. But it's probably an early hymn, the best we can figure. It's probably an early hymn that Christians sang and would have been commonly known to the believers at Ephesus in Asia Minor there. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Ah, someone who put that to music, let's try singing. That'd be cool. I'd be, I'd be willing to try. But it does seem to be, it does actually seem to be a reference to Isaiah 60, verse 1 through 3 and 4 in there. And what's really interesting about that is it, that passage is talking about, and it was actually quoted a little bit of it this morning, Part of Psalm, uh, Isaiah 60 was quoted this morning in, in the service. But um, that passage says, look, Israel, live out the light. And guess what will happen? When that light shines, the Gentiles will come to Yahweh, will come to God. In other words, as we live holy lives... It's as if Christ raises us from the dead and shines on us. And when that happens, people will come to Jesus. How cool is that? I hear a lot of excitement about the past around here. And that's not a slam. There was a lot to be excited about in this church's past. And I think one of the things that was very exciting about this church's past was the incredible outreach that this church had in the community. How can we bring that back? How can we bring that back? 
Let's start with holy lives. Let's start with holy lives. Lives that take sin seriously. Lives that take sin seriously. Lives that say, God hates sin, so I'm going to hate sin in my life. And then I'm going to let a holy life shine in the world, show a difference, and then I can invite them to that open seat in our congregation where we can show them the love of Christ, where we can take people and walk them through what it means to live in a gospel community. Why? So that we can lead more people to Christ and ultimately bring more glory to God. I'm committed to it. Let's all be committed to it. As we move forward, let's be the church full of people who love God, who love his holiness, and love their neighbors. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this day. So grateful for your word and for the challenge it is to me. I don't think any of us could come away from today's message unscathed. I just pray that you will convict us all. Lord, if we're committed, help us to be committed in every area of our lives. Show us where we need to grow, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Dave.